0: what's up everybody sports fans mental health and fitness fans mental illness fans adversaries and everybody else yes and foes friends romans countrymen lend us your ears we would like to introduce to you igor guriev md he is going to talk to us a little bit today about formula one racing
1: Ooh, we've never done a racing podcast
0: never before No, but formula one is actually a, um, an, an very, very exciting topic. And, you know, we, we actually rarely get to do topics on individual sports, right? Like, you know, where you have an athlete in this case, you know, a driver and, uh, you know, his battle with the machine, the rage against the machine, the, the formula one car,
1: there's a lot of battles going on that we're going to find out about. But
0: you know what, um, I actually was, uh was schooled to the game by Igor uh, a few weeks ago when we we're having a conversation at Tori's bachelor party about, you know, racing and, uh, Igor is a racing enthusiast. And uh, he let me know that it's actually not an individual individual sport at all. It's a team sport and uh, a lot that goes into formula one racing, a lot of dynamics, a lot of team dynamics, a lot of money, a whole lot of money. And uh, I'm excited to to get into it with you guys and uh dr Trojo over here what's up
1: dr hope it's a long time
0: no see what's going on tori how you been
1: i've been well i've been well so yeah this is an exciting one we haven't done a a racing podcast or specifically it's going to be mostly about f1 but we'll make some comparisons to nascar and indycar what most people are used to here in the
0: states um but we had to bring in our buddy our guy Dr. Guria, he gets the one and only. Oh yeah. Yeah, we go way back, man. Uh, so we all went to psychiatry residency together at UCLA. And so, you know, when uh, when you do residency together, it's a special bond, you know, it's like a brotherhood, sisterhood, um, a non-binary hood. And, you know, we, we all, you know, have a gay old time. Um, no, listen, we, we have fun. And uh, even though our training ended uh, several years ago, we have stayed in touch, and what um, do you mean we
1: stayed in touch? That we, uh, sounds we're like really so like distant relatives that like text every once in a while.
0: We hang I out, know. dude. We were just
1: hung out like two. Weeks I didn't want
0: to. Yeah, I, I didn't know how much you wanted me to reveal. You know about how special our, our relationship, our friendship, our relationships are. But like I said, Igor Guriev is uh, the resident expert on racing. Um, He's a racing enthusiast, and uh, he's also a psychiatrist. So. He's is going to school us through the game on the mental fitness of you racing.
1: Do, do you feel me? Do you feel me? Do you feel me?
2: Alright, oh, I love that introduction. Thank you, Jens. I uh I feel both welcome, maybe slightly embarrassed at the same time, but thank you for having me. I uh, I love getting your Christmas card every year. Don't forget about the Kwanzaa cards. Oh, I love getting your Christmas and Kwanzaa cards every single That's week. Right. Apart from that, I rarely see you guys, but I, I I do enjoy your couple's photo every year. It's the thing I look forward to the most as I sip on my eggnog. But um again, thanks for having me. I uh, I can't say that I'm necessarily an expert, but I am a fan. So we'll, we'll see how uh,
1: how much uh, in-depth we can get with this. Um, how, how would you different, differentiate yourself as a psychiatrist? We can't just say you're a run-of-the-mill psychiatrist. County trained, VA trained, UCLA
0: trained. No, he's actually, I, I think what we have to highlight, we have to highlight the fact that he was chief resident and he is an attending psychiatrist, For the University of California, Los Angeles uh, Department of Psychiatry and Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health, those are uh, really important facts that we have to make sure we highlight. And he's L.A. raised, right? He's a homeboy too. And I'm telling you, like we're talking about what we we went to. Was it Hollywood Uh, Public L.A. High? Wow your high
2: school la high the first school in southern california that's amazing
0: Really, it's actually quite a distinction
2: yeah it was uh it's uh, me and um johnny cochran both of us went there wow, that's it. so i want to hear about how
1: did you get into f1
2: um you know i i've been a fan of cars and racing for a while i can't say that i've been you know a fan of f1 my whole life or even honestly all that long this has been more of a Probably more of a recent thing, and I guess it kind of correlates with the sport becoming more global. Um, and by by global, I guess I mean kind of seeping through into America, because I, I think it is already a big thing everywhere else. It's just that America has been sleeping on F one for a little bit. You know, we have our oh, wow. car. shots fired. I mean, it's it's I'm not I'm not I'm not wrong. You know, there's a lot of things that have been kind of coming through
0: soccer for one. You know indeed no we talked about that you're right Dude, did
1: you watch the 20, 2020 euros espn could watch every game i think it was early 2000s that shit was pay-per-view you had to pay to watch each match right so it's exactly. been less than 20 years and that sucker is right there on espn f1 right now that you can get that on espn every sunday morning granted you have to wake up around 6 6 a.m in the morning but as well as you'll find out on today's episode it's More of it is coming our way. So Igor, I want to ask you a question. How would you best describe F1 as someone who knows nothing about racing? Kind of like Armin and I. Okay. I mean,
2: we're talking about, you know, the highest level of racing, like the highest caliber drivers, basically driving, you know, these monster machines at their very limit, you know? Um, and historically sometimes, you know, to their detriment, we are talking about a sport with a lot of money behind it. Um, a sport where, right now, you only have twenty drivers. You know, so you have basically you have twenty of the best drivers in the world, um, arguably, who are you know racing each other for high stakes and you know in very very precarious, very dangerous circumstances. You know, you have you know you have big crashes. We've had you know huge upsets. But I mean, at the end of the day, what it is, is it's a very well financed, um, ultra competitive racing league Mm -hmm. where you have some of the best going against each other.
1: So the budget we're talking just to reference, maybe better, well-known racing leagues here in the States, the budget for an F1 team is up to half a billion dollars per year. Wow. And that's compared to the budget of IndyCar, which is $15 million per team. And NASCAR is only about $7 million per team. So this is, when you're talking money, astronomically, more money goes into and out of F1 compared to our Indy 500,
0: our NASCAR, Daytona 500. Now what makes up that difference? I mean, it's a huge disparity. I mean, I mean these NASCAR. cars
2: are engineered and over-engineered and there's... So much of that going into R&D, into Mm -hmm. testing, um, because, again, they're trying to get the most out of these machines. Uh, Additionally, regulations change so frequently that you basically have to almost make a
1: whole new car sometimes year to year. Right. So you're talking cars? That costs more than hundred million. Engines themselves that costs more than hundred million. They spend more money testing these things Crazy. than an entire IndyCar team does to build their entire
0: team. You you've mentioned team several times. Right? Can you tell us a little bit more about like what makes up a team? Um, like you know how a team comes together. Like could could we start a team if we wanted to? I mean, if three you could of us
2: backers. You could. You're pretty. You're pretty good driver, right? I mean, there's uh, historically, there's been some teams that were started, you know, by one very well-off financier and, you know, and, you know, he started a team, you know, actually the, the most successful team in the last decade in Mercedes, they bought that team off of a guy who it was just his team and he won a championship and he sold it to Mercedes and there, they built it up from there. Okay.
1: Wow, but again, the entry is as you mentioned. You know, it's, it's a big price. It's a big number. And, that, and and you mentioned the team. So there's ten teams right now that are competing in the 2021 uh, F1 season. And there's two drivers per team, so right. there are 20 total drivers. So this is a small club because we got NASCAR has 17 teams and each team has up to four drivers, so that's 68 drivers. And then IndyCar's over 12, 13 teams with over 36 to 40 drivers. Got it. So this is more money and a lot less uh, opportunity to, to be a driver, to be part of one of these teams.
0: More elite. More elite, it sounds like. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. This is a very elite club. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you, you mentioned the word elite because, you know, some drivers have actually spoken about that recently saying that it's actually become too elite because they feel like now the barrier to get in for somebody who doesn't have parents that can you know, fund this interest from the beginning, because basically, unless you're getting into goal-karting when you're in elementary school, you, the chances of you getting into F1 are minimal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true, man. And that's the thing. Like, you got stuff like, uh, you got sports like soccer, you know, you could play pretty much, you know, at any age, anywhere, you know, it's very, very simple to pick up a, you know, a ball and start kicking it around with your friends. But with something like racing, you know, you, you have to, it's, there's so much that goes into it. You know, you, you have to have the resources to get a car, then you have to have a track, you know, that would enable you to, you know, kind of move around and stuff like that. And a lot of the developing world, it would be hard to, to come up with with those resources.
2: Absolutely. You know, I, uh, I knew, well, I, I know this, um, a friend of mine, her, um, her half brother. He used to be into go-karting, so his dad basically had bought him, you know, several go-karts, which are obviously expensive, a trailer to tow them to the track. And the kid, this young kid, he was I think he was in middle school, was working with a Formula One coach to train him. I'm getting there. I mean, and, and this kid, you know, didn't end up getting into the sport at all, like in the long run. Right. So, I mean, you're putting in a lot of money up front to – you know, fund this interest, this hobby, this potential profession. And your chances of getting, you know, to this level are very, very
1: minute. Wow. So we're we're gonna touch on like some of the most famous F1 drivers, including Lewis Hamilton, probably the most famous going right now, and how early he got into the sport. But before we get into that, so the topics we're gonna cover along now that we've kind of laid the foundation of F1. We want to talk about team dynamics. I think that's the most fascinating thing about this sport. And I know Armin touched on earlier. You think it's like this this individual sport because you got this driver kind of handling the, the machine and and trying to beat out the other drivers, but no, not so fast. There's so many different dynamics. Um, and then there's the, all this pressure, not only on the teams, but especially on the on the drivers as well. And then we're gonna kind of go into like the psyche of what makes like a really good F1 Formula One driver.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, got to circle it back to mental fitness. It's
1: always. And then so Igor, talk, let's talk about team dynamics for a moment. We all think, I think we see F1, we see Lewis Hamilton, good looking guy, has a lot of sponsorships. Sure. I know, I think he landed somewhere on the top 10 of the Forbes highest paid athletes list, but w- where does he stand in, in kind of the the hierarchy of, of the mm-hmm. team?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, I, I first want to go back to, you know, what Armin mentioned earlier, he mentioned, he was asking about the number of teams. So, you know, right now we have 10 teams. Um, F1 has a maximum of 13 teams. Each team has two drivers, right? And usually um, depending on the contract, you know, it's those two drivers that are going to be there for the whole season. And, you know, I think later in the show, we can get into, you know, how sometimes the drivers don't even stick around for the whole season, but, but basically, you know, what, what I think makes F1 especially unique when it comes to talking about sports in general is, is that uh, there's two different championships you're battling for, right? You're battling for the Constructors' Championships, which is the team itself, right? Is a Mercedes, is a Ferrari, is a Red Bull that's gonna win the Constructors' Championship. And you're, they're also a Drivers' Championship. So there can only be one driver that's the winner, right? So realistically, you are, fighting you're battling you're competing against your teammate Mm. right
0: so interesting yeah i can't think i I really can't think of any other sport where that that's the case like maybe um,
1: closest i think is like a team gets to the NBA, nba finals and like last year with the lakers it's like all right lakers are gonna beat the heat right but who's gonna get Finals MVP. Is it going to be LeBron or is it going to be AD this year? It's like, is it going to be Chris Paul? Is it going to be Devin Booker? And now who knows, maybe it's going to be the Bucks, but that's true. I mean, that's true. But that at the end of the day doesn't that pales in comparison to what's going on here in F1 where,
0: yeah. What about combat sports? I guess like in UFC, you kind of have, you know, different teams that you kind of train. You have
1: different gyms that you train with. Um, yeah, but that's, that's much more individual driven because there's no gym championship. Um, right. And I, and I imagine, so how does each driver know where they stand in that hierarchy? Does, does the, does Lewis Hamilton's teammate know that he's, he's not necessarily the guy that's going to, compete for the driver championship.
2: Right. So each each driver is scoring their own points. And those points are going to the team, but it's also going to that one driver. So you know you can have one driver doing really well and one doing very poorly. And you know the disparity is going to be very evident like on on the rankings. Cause there are rankings after every race based on the total number of points they've gotten.
1: Has there ever been a situation where someone like Lewis Hamilton has purposely like wanted his teammate to do bad because he wants to be able to be like, it's been right. like, yeah. has there ever been a situation where teammates were kind of close? Like the, like the constructor cup was already settled and now it was a matter of like driver championship and either you. So essentially you root, maybe you're rooting against your teammate or you're trying to screw over your teammate. Does that ever happen? Sabotage?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, if, you know, you mentioned Lewis Hamilton, um, Lewis Hamilton's teammate used to be one of his closest friends. Um, a guy named uh, Nico Rosberg, and they became enemies. They began hating each other. They've been friends since they were children. Wow. But when they were in the same team, and Nico Rosberg ended up winning a championship and then retiring while Lewis Hampton was his teammate. And, but they hated each other. They're, you know, they're cordial now. I mean, I, I have no no details about their relationship. You know, they're outside of what you see in the media, but they were like completely at well, odds. Somebody who well, what's
0: that what happened? What, what was the the situation that caused the rift? They were teammates and
2: and they were. Very was there, but was there
0: a specific like event where maybe Lewis like, you know, somehow prevented, you know, his teammate from from winning or something like that? Or was there a specific moment or was it just like just because they were teammates?
2: I mean, obviously, you know, with each race, there were moments where, you know, they got under each other's skin.
1: Wow. There's only a finite amount of resources, right? Because there's a budget for the whole team. There's two cars. So imagine at a certain point, you might start investing, maybe investing a little bit more time or resources into one car versus the other. And then spotlight advertisements. I I mean,
2: yeah, it's, it's very unique. Your teammate is probably
1: your biggest
2: opponent because you know you can take somebody from you know let's say um Reynolds. you can compare them to somebody from you know alpine and you know they're obviously competing against each other but it's not necessarily a fair race because they're not in the same exact car number one right because here we're able to see you know how good you are because you're racing the exact same machine number one and number two um you are basically sometimes i mean not always but sometimes you're fighting for a a spot to stay on a team because the team could choose to get rid of one of you and which one they get rid of depends on how well you perform
0: wow man so you know i guess if you're good friends you you probably would wouldn't try really hard to be on different teams again
1: so obviously there's a lot of pressure on these drivers with how much money they make their teammates are their biggest enemies They have to travel different time zones. So the majority of the races are in Europe, but they also have some in like Abu Dhabi. There's one in the U S um, so they're traveling a lot. Is there any in Asia? Yeah, there's Japan. Okay. So they're traveling all over the place. Yeah. So they try to hit,
0: hit just about every, every continent. They are in Australia. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the season goes from March, to December, there's 23 grand prix. So a season consists of 23 Grand prix, and a Grand Prix is just a race, correct? Well,
2: a Grand Prix is a race, but it, it, it covers three days basically. Right. Cause you have practice on Friday qualifying on Saturday and their actual race on Sunday, but you know, you can consider the qualifying to be a big component of the race itself of the Grand Prix. Cause that's when you kind of get a sense of how good the cars are. Yeah. And when you decide where they stand on the grid, who gets pole position.
1: And does pole position matter? You think more in F one compared to other racing leagues? Because uh, isn't it more difficult to pass in F one because you're going through all these different corners? I mean, I, I mean, I
2: absolutely. You know, getting getting pole position gives you an advantage. But I, in terms of passing, there's actually like interesting, intricate things that um, the way F one is now. So basically, there's certain zones when you're within a certain um, time frame from another driver, you can activate a system that allows your car to go faster so that you can pass them.
0: Okay. Now,
1: this is
2: intense.
0: Now, if, uh, if you, are you guys on the, on the same track day two and day three?
2: Yeah. You're on the track on all, all three days. Exactly.
0: Okay. All right. So then you're learning the track over time, right? With each, each interval
2: sure absolutely more, yeah. but but more so than learning the track because usually you know a lot of these guys have been on it before you're yeah. learning the track with the car you have now because the car may have changed right from a previous exactly exactly
0: yeah so so there's a you know i mean you're obviously really kind of building it's almost like golf in a sense you know like you're kind of really building up to that that final round you know and and each time you you get a crack at the course you know, you're pretty much trying to, you, you have to duplicate what you did. If you did really well the day before, or, you know, you want to obviously, you know, fix the things from the day before that, that didn't go, go right. If you played poorly, yeah. you know, so it's
1: building up that muscle memory. So just some basics about kind of each race. So it's a lot shorter than NASCAR NASCAR goes about four hours. Most F1 races only go about two hours, about 190 miles. Each track is, and there's 23 grand Prix raced across 22 tracks across the world. Like Igor said before, there's two championships at the end of the season: constructors' championship, the team with the highest points, and a world driver championship, and that's a single driver with the highest points. Let's talk a little bit about these cars because the cars are the most expensive cars in the world. Open wheel, open cockpit, single seated. These when you go, it's like it's five G's down the track.
0: So this is. You mean like as in, you know, cell phone coverage?
1: That's the force. That's the five Gs <laughs> of force. Got it. Hmm. It's live gravity, huh? Yeah. So it's greater speeds than a plane taking off. Speeds up to 235 miles, per hour.
0: <laughs>
1: have you ever gone that fast, Igor? Because I know you've done some track days now.
2: Sure, sure. But no, I, I don't drive a Formula One car in North so, so they're like literally
1: flying. Yeah, you couldn't handle those G's either. Uh, Just for reference, it's a slower top end speed than the IndyCar, but you know, the IndyCar has that long straightaway, but they average, they're much quicker. And over the course of the race, they run much faster. Top speed.
0: 231 miles per hour. That's Juan Pablo Montoya. Legend.
1: He was did IndyCar and he did F1. So these athletes, obviously have to be fit, right? You would think, a, I think the lay person would think like a, a race car driver doesn't necessarily have to be in good shape, but if you're dealing with countering these 5G forces, or these these G forces, like it, I've been in your car, Igor, when you've driven too fast, and <laughs> I've, I think I've had neck sprain, had to wear a neck brace. You have to be fit in order to can, like counteract these forces, plus you're, you're two hours, you're hot, you're tense, like these guys are athletes they have to you have to take care
0: of they're kind of like pilots i mean you know in a sense like, fighter yeah. like top gun yeah i mean there's certainly
2: enough acceleration to uh to get you to uh go up in the air but there's enough downforce on these cars that keeps them down and you know in terms of us going fast that must have been in mexico because you know i don't break any us speed limits i drive very safe
1: <laughs> absolutely you're right you're right no there's the track the track days absolutely. the track days so yeah, so there's all these different things that go into the car, but let's face it, the pressure is on these drivers. and there's actually been some drivers that have opened up about their their mental health struggles throughout the years. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you guys want to jump in and talk a little bit more about some of those drivers, but um, there's a current driver right now. I'll touch on Lando Norris. Um, he's talked about how he struggled with stress and anxiety in his, his rookie season and he uses headspace and he kind of changed around the structure of his training to make it more enjoyable to kind of deal with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned physical fitness being a, an important thing uh, for just handling the G forces and everything. But uh, you know, from what I I've, I've learned so far, it, 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 it seems like mental fitness would be equally important if not, If not more so uh, for for a sport like this just staying you know calm under pressure, you know, being able to sort of make split second decisions, you know uh, course correct on a moment's notice. Um, Being able to kind of like really you know see the victory before it happens, you know mapping out kind of your your path and and you know you know kind of how you want to do things. Before executing and then be able to execute flawlessly, like you have to be in the zone. You know, you have to really stay focused in order to do that. So, um, Igor, can you uh, kind of touch on that as someone that you know knows a lot about mental health and you know, obviously, you've experienced racing before. You know, what what kinds of mental fitness principles and techniques apply in a sport like this? No,
2: absolutely. I mean, I think it's a huge mental game, um, like any sport. But you know the, the pressure here, the psychological pressure is very immense. I mean, you know, I mean, let's talk about how close these guys are to each other. Right. Because, you know, say you have a track that's, um, you know, two and a half miles long, four and a half miles long, you know, these top guys who are racing each other are coming in when they're doing their qualifying and they're within like a 10th of a second, two tenths of a second of each other, you know, That's, that's how close they are to each other's lap times. I mean, I, I, don't, you know, it, you know, as a, as an amateur, you know, track driver, I couldn't dream of being that consistent or that precise to consistently be, you know, within that kind of time frame and driving at the limit at that. Um, you know, these guys are very talented, but you know, if you're performing, let's say, you know, you're suddenly an eight tenths of a second off, whereas, you know, in the prior race, you were, one tense. I mean, that must really weigh heavily on you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, battling yeah. your teammate who's potentially, you know, gonna keep their spot on the team when you're not is a huge factor in this. Um, and, you know, just the general, you know, competitiveness of the sport in general, because, you know, you're supposed to be one of the 20, one of the most elite. If you're not performing, you know, to a certain standard, you're not going to last very long and that's that has to be constantly like in the back of your mind
0: for sure and you know just to put this in perspective you're talking about 0.1 seconds right that could be the difference between first place and second place how much money is at stake between first and second
2: i mean it's it's all it's you know it's about sponsorships right you know that that's where the majority of the money is coming from you know you yeah. know just like winning you know the nfl championship or the nba championship doesn't come with a monetary prize you know right yeah right Even here you know it's not necessarily that you get more money for winning a grand prix but you know you are securing your place you're securing your livelihood because if you're
1: not performing well you may be out of a job next year yeah. it's kind of like a title right it's something you can it's another notch yeah. in the yeah. belt, plus you get i guess the point system it, 26 points for first, 18 for second.
2: Yeah, but I mean, think about it. You've worked literally your entire life to get to this point. I mean, you know.
0: Yeah, it's almost immeasurable. I mean, it's not something you really put like a true price on, right. you know, you know okay. between first and second.
2: As physicians, you know, we can say that we spent uh, you know, a great deal of time, you know, in education, you know, towards our careers. But it, it unfortunately, it doesn't even compare to this because we weren't training to be doctors when we were in elementary school and this is what these guys were doing in elementary school they were trying to get to the place where they are now and now that they're here they're, they can be under immense pressure to you know retain that spot
1: so that's, that's so fascinating yeah. i feel like so what comes to mind when i think of like what makes a great driver would be kind of having that like being mentally fit being confident um having that ability to be alert and focused and calm under all this stress extreme attention to detail i imagine there's some perfectionistic traits that these guys share obviously they have insane work ethics and are driven if they've continued to do this since they were in elementary school and are succeeding on a high level it's something where they've put in so many hours like igor said that it's almost committed to muscle memory they, they probably do get into some sort of flow state when they're on that track and I imagine to a certain extent, once they get in a couple practice runs on the track that they kind of do go, th- they, they ride, they drive the car. And it's, it's all about, feel and it's not necessarily like they're doing different calculations in their head when they're driving, but cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine they get in some sort of flow state when they're out there,
2: they must absolutely. I, I don't know how you would otherwise. Um, there's one driver that, that said that he would probably drive faster if he was able to have music. And I'm assuming, you know, he wants that to get into that flow state.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, since we're kind of on the topic of of team dynamics, I think we'd be remiss if we don't talk about, you know, this like, the, the communication, right? The high level communication that has to happen between driver and the team, you know, in the background. Um,
1: yes, just for reference, each Formula One team employs hundreds of technicians, engineers, support staff. Yeah. And if you include designers and assembly employees, the number could exceed 1,000.
0: Crazy. Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, they're, they're doing all this in cars that, you know, you may think, you know, a lot of engineering goes into this, which means they're easy to drive. By no means are these cars easy to drive. Um, you know, if, if any of us got into one of these cars, we wouldn't last very long. Is basically if you try to go around the corner at a, at a speed that's too slow you'll go off because you're not generating enough down force you have to go really fast mm-hmm. you have to stay at the limit right um additionally you know you have to be aware of how you're driving because you're thinking about your tire life the entire time and that's one of the things that lewis hamilton's really good at preserving his tires mm-hmm. he's driving quickly but he's not abusing the car
1: I think I heard something recently in the news and maybe you told me this, Dr. Guryev, but there's been, has there ever been like a driver and a team like the pit or the crew where there's a miscommunication or they're on different pages where the driver doesn't want to pit stop, doesn't want to get new tires, but the crew thinks he should or vice versa. Has that ever happened? Or maybe they go, they go into the the race day with, with, a with opposing plans and, and it, the plan doesn't work out. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Definitely, that definitely happens. Um, you know, there's, cause there's different strategies to this. You know, some teams will employ, try to employ one pit stop. Some teams too, you know, they have various compound of tires they can use from hard, medium, and soft, right? right? With the difference there being, you know, depending on the compound, say like a hard compound tire will last longer, but it will not be as grippy. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, They can also, there can also be other things they can use. You know, sometimes teams will have different kinds of wings, um, which, you know, basically will um, generate downforce differently. And so they can change those from one car to the other. So there's definitely planning and strategy that goes into this, depending on the track they're on, depending on the race they're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, who who are the the main people that uh, the driver would be communicating with during the race?
2: You no, know, I mean usually the person that's communicating a lot during this is the the team principal. Um, you know, that's sort of like the the boss in the in the sort of in the garage. The person that's has their boots on the ground. That's there with the team in the garage. That's there watching all the metrics, and he can be communicating certain things. I, additionally, you know, there's engineers that are providing input as well.
0: Right. So it sounds like a like maybe a head coach and his kind of offensive defensive coordinators.
1: And like the drivers, like the quarterback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's crazy.
1: So let's let's get into the individuals of this sport because as you know, sports like MDs, we're all about the story. We're all about the individuals. We touched on a little bit before about Lewis Hamilton. He's a, he's a seven time champion. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's won the driver championship seven times. That's tied the most with Michael Schumacher, and he currently races right now for Mercedes. He's got a teammate, Valteri Bottas, is his teammate, and currently right now he's not in first, wow. and, and Mercedes isn't in first either. So there, it's and we're about I think a little more than halfway through the season, or about halfway through. So this, but this is a guy. Let's get into his backstory a little bit. Lewis Hamilton, number eight on the Forbes top 10 um, highest earners of 2021. He's always in the top 10. He makes $82 million a year. He, $70 million of that is in salary and 12 million endorsements, big endorsement guy, Bose, Sony, Monster. He's the first black driver in the history of F1 history. And he just happens to be the GOAT, kind of similar to like a Tiger Woods type story there. But he's someone who's, Igor mentioned this before these kids starting at elementary school. He started go karting at six years old that's when he got his first go-kart and then he started actually like competitively racing at eight years old and he was already breaking records by 10 years old so this is a prodigy this is like that's almost like a tiger woods type. Story. indeed where's he from uk wow so he he was signed to the mclaren young driver program in 1998 at 13 years old so this is when it kind of gets like, like the soccer. Cause you know, like the big, like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Chelsea, they have these like soccer clubs where they'll sign like the the 10 year olds. So at 13 years old, he's already signing to a program.
0: The only sport that I can think of that, that ha- it's like that is uh you know, soccer. You know, they, they recruit them pretty young. They can go pro pretty young. Um, but that, yeah, it's pretty incredible. You know, you, you rarely find folks that are, yeah. You recruited the professional level. So early.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, if you look at other sports, you know, you look at NBA, you look at NFL at 13, you have no idea what this guy's going to be like when he matures Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton is actually the only F one driver that is currently racing right now that I had ever heard of. I'm a, I'm obviously a new to the sport, but that makes sense because he's, he's one of the people that kind of brought in the audience. He, he brought the sport. To different continents, different countries. He has his high profile lifestyle. He's an activist. Um, he's someone that shows up like on uh, fashion shows. Um, he's in the music industry. And most importantly, he's been a prominent advocate in the support of activism to combat racism and, and pushing for diversity within motorsports. Because we all know motorsports, we, we saw the Bubba Wallace thing that went down last year, a couple of years ago. Um, we need more diversity in that sport um yeah and that was uh that was nascar yeah right the that Boba was Wallace. NASCAR. nascar so yeah. he was listed in 2020 issue of time as one of the 100 most influential people globally not athletes people so this is someone who who has an impact beyond sports and he's an f1 he's a formula one driver and yeah we had we had we had to talk about him
0: yeah making an impact for sure
1: yeah
2: and you know like bob watson he's the only black driver.
0: You know, and, and it's, it is, it's great to talk about uh, diversity in sports and I would be curious to, to hear kind of what, uh, what ideas that, that guys like that have um, on how to, to spread the word to some of these other communities and, and how to, you know, most importantly, you know, get kids from these communities involved. Because, like we talked about, it, it is an access issue. You know that that's the main thing. It's it's not just a matter of interest. It's also a matter of access and resources and um and resources. You know, like being able to to yeah have the ability to yeah you get a get a go kart you know when you're a young person and you know that that costs money you know and and, uh, and having the the I guess ability to drive that you know in a track stuff like that you know I mean those things are uh, are things that hopefully activists like that will will be able to address moving forward
1: uh, looking at this because he signed at 13 with the mclaren young driver program i'd be interested to see because there hasn't been a women yet i don't think race in an f1 and I know there has an in indycar and nascar there's several women competing so i would lo- i would look straight at that that mclaren young driver program to see hey you got any uh kind of young ladies or or non-binary individuals down the pipeline so Mercedes Lewis Hamilton's team obviously everyone knows Mercedes very uh high valued company they're in second place right now and who's in first place is kind of a new and up and coming team uh, Red, Red Bull, Bull? racing now oh, you're shaking your head Igor and, and they're exciting
0: Red Red Bull is excited There's there's a there's a certain energy oh yeah um with with Red Bull that I think is refreshing you and, know, I, and
1: there's some energy about this young driver they have I was doing some research yeah. on him Max Verstappen yeah. Youngest, mm-hmm. he was the youngest ever to start at 17 years old. Youngest ever to win a race at 18.
0: Yeah. He's not afraid. He's like, a, you know, he's I, like, a, he's like the Giannis of, of racing. Uh,
2: I was shaking my head. Cause I mean, they've been doing this since 05, you know, uh, you can't necessarily
1: call them, but then she said they're, they're start to create their own engines too.
2: Right. That's the fascinating thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, right now their engines are being supplied by Honda, but they're basically buying out the Honda factory and making the engines themselves from here on out, which is just immense i mean uh i a company that makes energy drinks
1: now making formula 1 engines that's uh, and dom- and like dominating. dominating yeah absolutely here's the question though is f1 just kind of like a giant boys club because max verstappen he's the son of a former f1 driver and i'm looking through these lists of drivers and there's a lot of sons of former f1 drivers and obviously they have a leg up to other people there hasn't been any women in the sport is this a boys club I mean, what
2: major sport is in a boys' club at the end of the day? Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah,
0: it, it's it's like that.
1: I guess you're right. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball.
0: Well, but we're talking about ownership, and ownership—that's all about that's yeah, billionaire boys' club across the board, all major sports.
1: Well, the NBA is about to have their first Definitely. women's head coach here at some point soon. Hey, you know, at the end of the day, yes,
2: you know, you can look at it as a boys' club. But, you know, if we go back to Hamilton, this is somebody without any, any sort of relationship to racing to nobody in the past. Right. Um, I think he has a half brother. i don't quote me on this, but I think he has a half brother who races in a different league, not, not formula one, but, um, there's, you know, there's no fathers, no uncles, no, nobody mm-hmm. else was into racing before that.
1: So I want to just I'll highlight a few other big names and big teams so mclaren they're in third place right now they have lando norris is one of their best uh, drivers he's 21 years old he's already in his third season so another young gun we talked about him earlier struggled with anxiety there's a quote he's saying despite making it to f1 something i dreamt of ever since i began racing i found myself questioning my own self-belief worrying if i had i had what it took comparing myself with my teammate and other drivers so it, it's funny because this is in contrast to other people like, Max Verstappen, who we talked about earlier, who kind of, I was looking into this, who kind of took a shot at Lando and said, quote unquote, why would you say your weakness, even if you have one? Why would you explain that? I would never say those kind of things. So Lando here is opening up about his anxiety and and Max, the other young gun, is like, why? I like that. I like Verstappen. Yeah, he has a very old
2: school mentality about it. Why give somebody the edge and let them know. It's
0: more—it's—it's it's more of an alpha mentality. If you ask me, you know, yeah, Kobe probably would say something like that. Sure, and and I—I mean, I, I love it. Getting to that, I mean, when you're
2: competing at such a high level, you have to have some kind of, you know, traits of maybe antisocial personality disorder, right? Oh yeah, we've we've talked about that. You have to be at least a bit of a psychopath if you're going to go out there and be number one and dominate
1: everybody else. You don't dominate everybody being a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that in several different episodes because at the end of the day, if you're like stone cold and you don't allow what's going on around you to affect you internally and don't let your emotions go up and down, you're going to be more effective in any sport. But having said that, there's not just one recipe to be successful or one recipe to be an alpha. Like Lando Norris, let's see, what, what what place is he in? This guy's in fourth place. for He's, he's driving for McLaren. So for fine. him, personally, it's probably helpful for him to talk about his anxiety, to use the Headspace app, and to be open and honest about it. That probably helps him overall. And it, obviously, he's doing fairly well mm-hmm. versus Max Verstappen. Stone cold, kind of like that, like you said, and Michael Jordan, a Kobe Bryant, where... Mm-hmm. He's gonna keep it locked up. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he has his own struggles, but yeah. well, he, he lets that out on the racetrack. So there's, there's, it's not one size fits all. But you're right. If you look at a lot of the uh, legendary greats, a lot of them do share those characteristics. But we we did a podcast detailing the the, the two different recipes. We got the MJ and the Kobe versus the LeBron, mm-hmm. and we all know LeBron is he lets his emotions get to him a little and, bit.
0: And and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say. LeBron, and now this emerging star or emerging legend in Giannis Antetokounmpo. This guy, he's definitely more of the nice guy, you know, more of like the LeBron type guy, you know, he he doesn't mind talking about his feelings, you know, talking about, you know, like kind of his uh, emotional side. Being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But he's a killer out there, man. He's a killer out there. And he doesn't care
1: yeah so it's, i i think we're gonna see i think we're gonna see more goats with that type of mentality and we, we've seen it with like you said with lebron and now now giannis and and possibly now with lando norris where like we're, i don't i don't know necessarily what lewis hamilton's makeup was or michael schumacher's makeup was uh michael schumacher although by the way has a son who r- r- rides for the haas f1 team uh, mick schumacher but, uh,
0: but you know, I, I just I, the the fact that things are becoming more inclusive, that you know, folks generally are are more accepting and understanding of, of you know mental health challenges. I think it actually paves the way for athletes like uh, Giannis, you know, and like this guy Lando, you know, to 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 feel safe and secure, to you know, be able to perform at a high level, in spite. of of you know having anxiety right and having depressions and having these things that go on you know there there was probably a time when a person like lando would not have felt comfortable coming forward and talking about those kinds of issues you know they would have had to kind of keep that stuff inside and that likely would have affected them in their performance
1: absolutely and that's why i think max Verstappen called it a weakness but it, it it's only becomes a weakness for lando if if he doesn't approach it the right way,
0: if he runs away from it, that's right.
1: Yeah, exactly. For him opening up, owning it and and allowing people into that vulnerability and, and, and going towards treatment and doing headspace and mindfulness and meditation, he's taken ownership of that yes, and yeah. it's no longer a weakness and it's, it, it can be a strength.
0: Tremendous strength, tremendous strength. You know, if you, you could say that like being able to, to kind of put that out there, you know, that really may have been the, the thing, that, that cathartic experience he needed to kind of really gain control of that, you know, and feel like, you know, he, he sort of, um, you know, isn't as affected by it anymore, right? Like taking that step, having that confidence, um, you know, I bet that that changed everything for him, really. So, mm-hmm.
1: So before we wrap up, I want to touch on a couple more drivers that have kind of been open about some mental health struggles or or a couple more historical events that have occurred. So a former driver, Romain Grosjean, I don't know if that's how you say his last name, Romain Grosjean admitted that he needed to consult a psychologist um, after he had a crash in 2012. And he actually credited the specialist for improving his life, not only on the track, but off the track as well. And I think he's back driving again and he's doing um, IndyCar now. And then we, we didn't even touch on this. And Igor, you touched on it a little bit earlier, how these drivers are so close with regards to their speeds. They're going 230 miles an hour, life and death for a lot of these guys on the track. Like we, we know NASCAR Dale Earnhardt passing away three-time champion Ayrton Senna, He was a a Brazilian F1 driver and he died at 34 years old in an accident on the track. So these guys are facing death every time they, they go out there. And that's another thing where I think when you guys mentioned it pays to be kind of have kind of have like sociopathic antisocial type traits, it pays because you're not going to be worried about that necessarily as much if you're kind of stone cold, but that's why these guys, have to pay attention to detail that's why they have to get in the flow state that's why they have to be mentally fit because that pressure there probably supersedes
0: all the other pressures that pressure with without the benefit of like you know cocaine or meth it sucks i mean it absolutely sucks
2: i mean imagine being roman imagine you know because obviously everybody there is a great driver and imagine you know you were great and now you found your limitation you crashed you came that close to death if you don't know how to move past that and trust the car again, you're
1: psychologically buried.
0: Yeah. Do they, do, they, do these guys actually have to go through the same, uh, protocols as all other athletes in terms of being drug tested and all that? Yeah,
1: For hundred percent. So, yeah. and then on top of that, like, obviously you only, do you, do you only have one car throughout the season? So what happens? Like if you, you wreck the car,
2: they recap, to basically reconstruct it
1: that's a lot of pressure there as well so i mean if you wreck it there's
2: no backup car
1: for you to suddenly use that's against the rules too so has there been cases where someone will wreck their car one race and then they can't get the car back together in time for the following week or not that i can think of i i saw an interview with i think the team principal of mercedes saying even though they're 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 about 32 points behind red bull right now they were mentioning like no, we still have a shot to win because what if some issues go down with the Red Bull cars? So,
0: Mm. I don't know. (laughs) actually sounds like a a little bit of a threat. (laughs) What was he saying? Yeah,
1: but so, obviously, like, there has to be more pressure on this. Like, there's no other sport we have that you're going to risk death. I mean, you could argue football, uh, boxing, um, that certainly, but not when it comes to to driving machinery.
0: Has has there ever been any um, any stories of like tampering or, um, you know, one one, uh, I guess, team, maybe you know, doing something to sabotage another team,
1: deflating the tires, deflate gate. <laughs> there,
0: there ever been those those kind of scandals?
2: There's been scandals where teams are accused of having. Illegal, like um, basically, like illegal components on their cars, and there has to be an investigation about that. There's also been Can some imagine. scandals about, you know, uh, this is like very much in the past. But if a team is, you know, too cozy with like the FIA, which rule, which you know governs F1 administration, you know, they'll they'll basically get preferential treatment. Like I remember there was a a race where Ayrton Senna got pole position. But where they placed the pole position was actually not favorable for the track, because it was actually the second place that would have been much more favorable, but they moved it just because the other team was basically very, very comfortable talking to, you know, the admin.
0: So,
1: So it sounds like a lot of big changes are coming for next year in F1. They're decreasing the budget from we said earlier up to almost a half a billion now to 145 million per team. And is that because they want to create more parity? Because it sounds like right now Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren and Ferrari are just kind of smoking everyone.
2: Yeah, exactly. They want more parity because Mercedes has been dominating for you know, the last six seasons and you know people want to see more competitive sport. So is, they want to see
0: is there no cap at all to how much the team can spend?
2: So there's a cap now
0: but there's a but previously there was no cap so it was just like basically how whoever could spend the most money you know kind of like baseball i guess
2: Kind of, you know some of these teams like haas were coming in you know at like a hundred million and that's why and then you can say that that's why they were performing so poorly compared to the other guys
0: yeah uh, you know that, that's always going to be a thing you know salary cap versus no salary cap um i I think I, I lean more, you know, towards salary cap, you know, I think parity is great. I think, you know, that's one of the, the reasons why I love basketball. You know, it's like, you kind of feel like anybody can compete, you know, any team. Compete.
1: I mean, thankfully we have a, a, a championship this year where it may, it, you feel like that, but I just feel like still with, with the bigger cities, it's, it's basketball still, you don't see as much parity as you'd want. Cause you still get the, the super teams in the big cities
0: yeah well you know a big part of that too though is fan base i mean you just have like more yeah. access to more people and stuff like that And
1: any um, building up your brand and, and all brand. those different things
0: yeah this has been a fascinating discussion like i i feel like a lot of our uh listeners are, are gonna have learned a ton today you know because it's just something that you don't get a chance to talk a lot about um it's good stuff igor what what would you say for you personally um like, How do you, uh, apply mental fitness to, to your, your driving skills when you're out there on the road, fooling around on the track?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think mindfulness is a big thing. I think visualization is a big thing. You know, I remember after I did one of my first few track days, I had an instructor tell me that you should be able to close your eyes and go through the track in your mind. And it should take you about as long as it takes you to get through it in your car.
1: Um, That's fascinating. Power of visualization. Did mm-hmm, you take that to heart? 100%.
2: Um, I'm talking about it, are mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's
1: good stuff. Yeah. So you, yeah, we so talk a lot about that. Is that what you do on your commute down the 405? You visualize it. Oh, yeah, I, I close my eyes, take my hands off. Let <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Who, who? Before we go, who's your favorite driver and who's your favorite team? Um, favorite driver,
2: I don't know. I'm partial. Again, I'm. I, I haven't been following F1 for my entire life, like a lot of fans. You know, I think I'm a fairly new fan to the sport. You know, I. I honestly, I really liked. Um, nico hulkenberg when he was he's not racing for Ethel anymore but i really liked him you know he was a a very promising up-and-comer and and he had um you know unfortunately he didn't live up to the expectations that were there he never even got a single podium finish but i i really liked the guy um for whatever reason but aside from him i mean i like lewis hamilton
1: oh wow out of the sport by 33 all right, so you're Lewis Hamilton guy. Yeah. Nice. It's a great story. I mean, how could he not be though? That's that's the face of the sport. That's the LeBron James of F1. Mm-hmm. A tremendous uh, or story. of F1. Yeah,
0: no, this is uh, this has been cool. And um, what would you say is the most rewarding thing for you about about driving, about getting out there on that track and and you know burning those tires?
2: Um, you know, I, I think almost in a way it can be a form of meditation. You know, there's a lot of focus involved. There's a lot of connecting with something outside yourself that's involved, right? Meditation can be with things on the inside, with things on the outside. Um, and this is more of an external kind of thing. Um, I like the fact that it's competitive, too. You know, I like, the fact, I like seeing my lap times, you know, mm-hmm. come down. I like seeing myself overtake other cars. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's very thrilling and very fun.
0: Indeed. You mentioned earlier, uh, I guess off the air that you were thinking about going to the next grand Prix event.
2: I um, mean, we'll, we'll see if it works out, but yeah, definitely, definitely looking into getting tickets to, um, Austin, nice. the U S
1: and they're going to have, a, they're adding another second one in the U S down in Miami.
2: Yeah. Miami next year. Absolutely. I'm sure that'll be really exciting. You know, when I lived in New York they considered doing a um, a New Jersey Grand Prix um, they looked into the track they had drivers come out there and test it out but unfortunately never followed through I think he would uh, it was a kind of like um on that kind of New York New Jersey border right right um yeah uh, that Hoboken uh, area um, and never happened I was really rooting for that
0: yeah well after this podcast who knows you know I think uh, this is gonna be a, a- a huge promotion you know we have a million fans now so um you know <laughs> I more than that In growing oh yeah, man but um we, we really appreciate you for for being on today and for teaching us something new yeah man And we love connecting the the, the mental fitness dots and principles to uh you know to the wide world of sports so it, this has been really cool
1: yeah, we're going to start touching on more specific sports in the future. Probably have a combat sports related podcast coming up shortly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, absolutely. Dr. Giriev, Igor, thanks for tuning in, man. We appreciate having you. Don't be a stranger. Uh, Don't be a stranger. I've been a fan
2: since day one. So I'm, I'm happy to be mm-hmm. on here. Good to see you guys. Um, and again, thanks yeah. for having yeah.
0: us. We'll go, we'll race our road bikes here shortly. Uh, Definitely. Well, you know, we like to to end our podcast with you know a uh, a special slogan. Uh and all of our fans and listeners they know what we're talking about. Um let them the stigma. And the conversation. conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did it. That was good. <laughs>